bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, September 13th, 2016. First of all, I'd like to wish Senator Chuck Grassley a happy birthday this week. As regular listeners know, Senator Grassley was the author and sponsor of the original Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit. The credit was first enacted back in 1992. The latest extension of the credit came last December, when Congress extended the program by five years with a phase-out of the tax credit. I'll talk more about how the production tax credit plays into the future of wind energy development later in the podcast. In our general section today, I'll talk about the approaching, the rapidly approaching, September 30th deadline for Congress to pass a continuing resolution and avoid a government shutdown. I'll discuss why there's a holdup and how the election year complicates matters. In our long-commencing tax credit section, I'll provide a legislative update to a bill that would increase low-income housing tax credit allocation authority by 50%. Of course, I'm talking about Senator Maria Cantwell's Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. In state housing news, I'll talk about a bill that would give California State's Tax Credit Allocation Committee a more efficient means to enforce compliance regulations. Turning to new market tax credit news, I'll announce the winners of the 2016 Novogratic Journal of Tax Credits Community Development Quilicki of the Year Awards. And then in our historic tax credit section, I'll briefly outline some recent regulatory changes to the state of Maryland's state historic tax credit program. And I'll close out with renewable energy tax credit news, where I'll share a recent report on the future of wind power generation. And I'll also talk about a letter that clean energy businesses have sent to Congress regarding a tax credit extension for certain renewable energy technologies. If you're ready, Let's get started. In general news, I have an update on how Congress plans to keep the government funded and avoid a shutdown next month. As I mentioned in last week's podcast, Congress needs to pass a continuing resolution by September 30th in order to avoid a government shutdown and provide funding for the federal government. Now, September 30th is only about two weeks away. A continuing resolution passed by then would buy lawmakers more time to set appropriation levels for fiscal year 2017. The clock is ticking down to the deadline, and there is a holdup. That's because lawmakers can't agree on how long the continuing resolution should be or when an omnibus funding bill should be negotiated. Now, on one side are House Speaker Paul Ryan and House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Both Ryan and McCarthy only want a continuing resolution through December. That's because they want to pass an omnibus spending bill before the end of this calendar year. Their approach aligns with Senate Democrats, who said they would block any continuing resolution bill that would extend into 2017. In other words, House Republican leaders and Senate Democrats want to take care of spending legislation during this Congress, instead of putting it off until next year and next Congress and the next president. 
However, not everyone's on board with this idea. The House Freedom Caucus and other conservatives have said they want to avoid negotiating omnibus legislation during the lame duck session. They said that cramming into a year-end funding package during a lame duck session would lead to higher spending and special interest handouts. Those conservatives would rather begin negotiating appropriations in March of 2017. Essentially, they want spending levels to be negotiated between the new Congress and the new president. Complicating the situation is the fact that this is an election year. Senators who are up for re-election are hoping to leave Washington before the September 30th funding deadline so they can campaign in their home states. So where are the Senate Republicans? Well, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he's ready to push through stopgap funding to keep the government open through December 9th. McConnell said he hopes to pass a continuing resolution this week and send it to the House to approve by the end of next week. However, McConnell admits that it would take, and I quote, all of the stars aligning in a perfect way with no intervening influence, end quote. So we'll see if that does pass this week. I'll keep you posted on any progress toward avoiding a shutdown, and you can follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Novogratik. In low-income housing tax credit news, I'd like to provide an update on the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2016. Last week, two additional senators co-sponsored the bill. Senator Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine, and California Senator Barbara Boxer, a Democrat. The bill, which has received bipartisan support, now has nine co-sponsors. The headline provision, as you know, increases tax for allocation authority by 50%. More specifically, the bill would increase the per capita and small state minimum allocations by 10% each year for five years. The bill would also establish a minimum 4% credit rate for acquisition and for taxes and bond finance properties. This would make bond finance developments more financially feasible, especially those involving the preservation of affordable housing. And it would allow income averaging in low-income housing tax credit developments. Now, as a reminder, income averaging would provide a third income election, allowing properties to average 60% of very median income with households up to 80% of very median income, so long as there were households with lower income levels such that the average was 60% or didn't exceed 60%. This provision would increase the financial feasibility of properties in high housing cost areas, sparsely populated very low-income communities, and low-income neighborhoods targeted for community revitalization. In July, Senate Bill 3237 was introduced as a follow-up to this Senate Bill 2962. Senate Bill 3237, as I'm sure many of you already know, also is titled Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2016. However, while it includes all the provisions of the earlier legislation, it also adds 17 more improvements to the Long-Term Housing Tax Credit Program. Now, you can read about Senate Bill 3237's provisions in my notes from Novogratic blog. Simply go to our website. Now, Senate Bill 3237 also has two new co-sponsors, namely Senator Kelly Ayotte, a Republican from New Hampshire, and Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota. While neither of these bills are expected to be enacted this year, the growing support for the bills makes it more likely an increase could happen next year when a new president is inaugurated and a new Congress is seated. 
In each of the past six administrations, a major tax bill has been enacted in the first year of the new president. Both Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton and Republican nominee Donald Trump have pledged to advance major tax legislation in their first year. Now, the more co-sponsors the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2016 receives, the more likely that low-income housing tax credit provisions will be included in that major tax bill. Furthermore, there is a small chance that no or low-cost provisions from those bills could be attached to tax legislation that the Congress may consider in a coming lame duck session. Again, the more co-sponsors the bills receive, the more likely those low-cost provisions could be considered this year. To learn more about Senate Bill 2962 and Senate Bill 3237, please go to www.taxcredithousing.com. In other affordable housing news, a bill in California would authorize the state's tax credit allocation committee to establish a list of fines for those who violate terms of its low-income housing tax credit agreements. The bill, which passed both the state Senate and the Assembly in August, is on the desk of Governor Jerry Brown. The governor has until September 30th to sign or veto the bill. And if he does neither, the bill becomes law. If he vetoes it, it would take a two-thirds vote in each house of the state legislature in order to override the veto. Now, the bill would authorize the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC, to establish a schedule of fines for violating terms of its regulatory agreement, program regulations, or other agreements. Now, to be clear, the IRS enforces the basic low-income tax credit program requirements for 15 years. But the IRS does not enforce deep affordability or some of the other requirements imposed by TCAC before or after year 15. Currently, TCAC has limited options for enforcing some of its regulations that the IRS does not enforce. One of the things that TCAC can do under current law is to impose negative points on an owner's future low-income housing tax credit applications. But that's only effective if the owner applies for a new reservation of credits. Another current option to remedy noncompliance is for TCAC to file a lawsuit. However, that's time-consuming and expensive. The bill's proposed system of imposing fine is viewed by many as a much more efficient and effective approach. Under the legislation, TCAC would be required to define what are considered serious violations. The legislation says that except for those serious violations, first-time violators would be given the opportunity to correct the problem before a fine was imposed. The bill would also give the property owner the right to appeal any fines to TCAC. Any unpaid fines could result in TCAC recording a property lien. This change to California's regulations provides clarity to the current penalties or remedies that are stipulated in the TCAC regulatory agreement, or at least greater clarity. The bill requires, though, TCAC to establish fines for violations in an amount up to $500 per violation, or double the amount of the financial gain because of the violation, whichever is greater. Any fines collected would be deposited into the State Housing Rehabilitation Loan Fund. My partner Jim Kroger in our Walnut Creek, California office, says that the bill makes the expectations and penalties clear for owners who are accused of violating terms of their regulatory agreement. Jim points out the good news that first-time violators will have the opportunity to correct the violation. Again, this is not yet a law in California. We'll keep you updated on if and when Governor Brown makes a decision.
In New Markets Tax Credit News, I'm happy to announce the four winners of the 2016 Novograd Journal Tax Credits Community Development Qualikis of the Year Awards. The awards honor community development entities that made exceptional qualified low-income community investments in the past year. We have a winner for each of our four categories. In addition to each being exceptional investments, the variety of these investments, types, and locations is a testament to the flexibility of the New Markets Tax Credit. In our Metro category, the winner is Sunrise Banks NA for its investment in the 800 West Broadway Project in Minneapolis. The investment turned a vacant office building into more than 47,000 square feet of office and retail space. In the non-metro category, the winners are Amcref Community Capital LLC and Hampton Roads Ventures LLC for their investment in expanding Express Grain Terminals LLC in Sidon and Greenwood, Mississippi. Expansion of the grain processing plant created 81 full-time jobs. Next, Central Valley NMTC Fund won an award in the operating business category for its investment in a biomass gasification plant called North Fork Bioenergy Plant in North Fork, California. The plant will turn forest waste into clean energy. And in our real estate category, National Trust Community Investment Corporation and Urban Research Park CDE LLC won for their investment in the Studebaker Innovation Center in South Bend, Indiana. The Innovation Center will offer incubation space for local nonprofits, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals. Congratulations to this year's winners. We're going to honor them at the Novograd New Markets Tax Credit Conference in New Orleans on October 20th and 21st. I invite you to join us at the conference next month and learn more about how to make investments in underserved areas. Register today at www.novaco.com. In historic tax credit news, the Maryland Department of Planning officially made changes to regulations for its state historic tax credit. The changes were made because of legislation enacted earlier this year to extend the credit. Among the changes in the legislation was a renaming of the credit. Instead of being called the Sustainable Communities Tax Credit Program, it's now called the Heritage Structure Rehabilitation Tax Credit Program. The new regulations repeal existing regulations and add new ones, all based on extended legislation. As I noted, you may remember, Maryland reauthorized its program for five years in the spring. The sunset date, by the way, is now July 1, 2022. The tax credit was extended for commercial, small commercial, and owner-occupied residential property rehabilitations. The credit remains 20% for commercial and residential properties. Historic renovation projects can get a 25% credit if they rehabilitate a high-energy performance certified historic structure. Other than the name change, most planning department changes were made to clarify issues and conform with processes already done by the department. Now, if you any, have any questions about historic tax credit programs in your state, or the Maryland program in particular, contact my partner, Charlie Ruda, in our Boston office. In renewable energy tax credit news, advocates of clean energy technology and tax credit incentives appear to have a strong set of allies, American voters. This is according to recent report findings by the American Wind Energy Association, or AWEA. The report shows that the rapid rise of American wind power comes with strong support from U.S. voters. A poll conducted for AWEA indicates that 70% of registered voters across the country have a favorable view of wind energy. 
That includes more than 60% of Republicans and independents. This support comes at a time when the United States just reached a milestone of 75 gigawatts of installed wind power capacity. The capacity is up from 25 gigawatts at the end of 2008. 75 gigawatts of wind capacity is enough to supply electricity for 20 million average American homes. It's also about as much electricity as is generated by 17 typical nuclear plants or 65 coal plants. OEA CEO Tom Kiernan said that as wind power has more than tripled over the past eight years, so has its economic and environmental benefits. For example, he said that wind technician is the fastest growing job in the country, and the billions of dollars of investment in local economies have revitalized many rural communities. What's even more encouraging is that OEA says that wind generation could double by 2020 and double again by 2030 no doubt due in part to the investment tax credit and production tax credit. Wind is now the lowest cost solution for producing electricity and cutting carbon pollution in many parts of the country. Kiernan said that over the long term, the wind industry will need policies that level the playing field with fossil fuels and other sources of electricity as the production tax credit phases down. And speaking of renewable energy tax credits, the Business Council for Sustainable Energy wrote a letter to Congress last week asking lawmakers to include a tax provision to the Energy Policy Modernization Act. The council hopes to extend tax credits for the clean energy technologies that were orphaned by extenders legislation last year, namely the technologies for small wind projects, geothermal heat pumps, fuel cells, and other energy sources were left out of fiscal year 2016 omnibus spending and tax legislation. For now, it looks as though the orphan technologies will need to use the Energy Policy Modernization Act or fiscal year 2017 omnibus spending legislation as a legislative vehicle. If not, they'll expire at the end of this year on December 31st. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. For our listeners who own low income and tax credit properties, I encourage you to sign up for a webinar this week called Maximizing Rental Income via Alternative Utility Allowances Webinar. As you can tell by the title, the course is going to discuss the potential for owners to increase rental income by implementing appropriate alternative utility allowance methodologies. The webinar is this Friday, September 16th, and starts at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The instructors will be my partner, Thomas Dagg, as well as Anna Gail Henry and Emil Hales from 2RW Consultants. You can register at www.novaco.com. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.